0: everyone. Can you all hear me? Yes? Yes. yes. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure. All right. Thank you so much for coming to Art and Magic. Um, I think it's just about one o'clock, so I'm going to get started so we can make the most of our time. Um, hi, hi, hi. I just want to say thank you so much. Um, this is my first class for the Bruja Report, and I'm super excited and honored to be teaching here. Um, I will tell you a little bit more about myself, but my name is Ramey. Um, I have a consultancy called MG Creative Services, and I teach people about art for the most part. So I wanted to start sharing that uh, with people here today. Cool. Um, All right, so I'm just going to get started. I am a really uh, easygoing teacher. So if you have a question at any point, um, please interrupt me. You can just take yourself off of mute and be like, wait a second, I have a question about that. and I will answer as we go along. Um, There'll also be time at the end for us to uh, answer a couple of questions as well. So, all right, here we go. All right, so art and magic is something that I've been thinking about for a while, and I wanted to teach this on my own platform, Um, but then Everest mentioned that we could teach for Bruja, and I was like, oh my God, this is the perfect opportunity for collaboration. Um, But I really feel like in the kind of Western canon of art history with um, the traditions that we're kind of steeped in right now, um, men, and their art gets taught in a very different way um, that doesn't really apply to the paradigm of women's art. And I think a really big element of that is that um, women use magic
1: when they make art. And what do you mean? oh yeah, oh yeah, we can't we can't see your screen, your other display. Oh, oh,
0: yeah. you can't see my display. Okay, that's great to know. Thank you for telling me. Um, let me see how I can fix that. We can see your screen, but it's just showing your desktop. Oh, that's fun. It's, like, a, it's like the window in the zoom, I think. Okay, uh, let me fix it for you. Uh, new share, this screen. Can you see it now? Yes. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, thanks for letting me know. Okay, so this is a little bit about art and magic. Uh, at left, we have a painting by Hilma Clint. Um, I really like this painting. It's very soothing to me. It was on my phone background for a really long time. Um, But yes, so art and magic, basically I believe that women use magic when they are making their art. And I don't know that all women who make art know that they're using magic, but I do think that that is like the key difference um, if I had to talk about how divine feminine intervenes when it comes to making. So I envision this as being something that I teach for Bruha a couple times a month, hopefully, and today I thought that Hilma would be a great opportunity to kind of use this paradigm, just because I feel like it fits so closely with her work. Um, But you know, based on how this goes, I'm happy to keep talking about all sorts of things having to do with like art theory and visual culture and magic. So keep that in mind if you have questions. Um, All right, so a little bit about me. Um, I have an art history background. Um, I specifically studied visual culture. So I'm really curious about like the reason things have been made more so necessarily than like how they look or how um, they're displayed, but more like the function of creating and the function of makers in society. Um, Practically, I do a lot of brand and web design. I do visual production and creative direction. Um, But this all really culminates into community activation around the arts um, and either digital or in person. Um, I run a mastermind called Solstice Synergy Creative Circle. I open it twice a year for creative women, um, and we do a lot of work around ritual practice um, and scaling your art into something that can be your wildest dreams without having to put too much legwork in. Um, And then I've been on the Bruja report since December. I didn't really know that a place like this existed and I definitely feel like I just plopped right into um, a lot of familiarity and support. So I really um, appreciate being able to be in this community. This is me in 2018 at the exhibition that kind of inspired this talk. Um, It was actually my birthday and I got to go. um, So it was a really nice treat the Guggenheim is like $10 more than I ever wanna pay for a museum. Um, And so it's like nice to go on my birthday. (laughs) Um, So I try to go like for special occasions and stuff like that. Cool. Um, All right. So I always start my classes with a little bit of a journaling exercise just so that you can get in the headspace of applying the work to yourself so that you can take it away without me telling you exactly what to do. So (laughs) this is a viewpoint of the exhibition. I was actually standing like on this balcony right here that creates a mezzanine and and these are the paintings that were down below. Um, And you know, The Economist really sung the praises of these paintings. So just spend a little time, I'm gonna put a timer on for three minutes and define the word magic and define the word art. You, Don't have to write it down if you don't have your journal handy, but just just take a second to think about it, and I'll let you all know when three minutes has passed. All right, there's just about three minutes. Um, would anyone like to share their definition of art? Time for a couple people to share. Feel free to just take yourself off mute and let me know. I oh. Oh, hi, Sarah, yeah, go ahead. And then Heidi, I saw you unmute yourself too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I've always like um,
2: kind of a perfectionist. I'm like, how does one define art? But here's my attempt: um, expression
0: of self, ideas, um, beauty, creation, divine. Art is a means of making sense, articulating something, or bringing something to life. Thank you. I like that definition a lot. I wrote down um, intentional aesthetic expressions. So similar idea. Yeah. 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 What about you, Heidi?
3: Am I off mute?
0: Yes. Okay. Cause I think I never was or something, but anyway, <laughs> my
2: definition, um, is the
0: manifestation of an inner process. Oh, nice. Love that. Okay, cool. So the inner becomes something tangible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anyone want to go for magic? Anyone want to define magic for me?
4: I had the same definition for both.
0: Okay. What was your definition for both?
4: Synthesis of
0: the seen and unseen. Wow. That is so concise. I like that a lot. Thank you, Molly. Would anyone else like to go before we move on? You don't have to. I won't pick on anyone. You can, though, if you want. Okay. I'm going to keep going. Thank you so much for sharing, everyone. All right. So here is Hilma. She's pretty cool. I... Had one photo of her, but I found this one in her studio right before class and I had to pop it in because I think she just looks so in command um, in this photo. And I, I really admire kind of her stature here. Um, so she was um, like a known witch, a known mystic during her time. This isn't um, an identity that I'm like applying to her um, posthumously. This is something that she. Uh, I think was proud of and engaged in when she was alive. Um, She lived the turn of the 19th century, 19th, 20th centuries. And um, she was actually the first known abstract painter in the West. So not necessarily like abex, which we see more in like post sixties, kind of in the States, but um, in all of the West, like this style of oil painting with the abstraction is something that she kind of pioneered. Um, there are some people that I think are men that get recognized for this movement, like Kandinsky, um, Litsky, Chagall, things like that. But um, her work actually predated theirs, and you know, I'm not I'm not saying that they were informed by her necessarily, but she definitely was one of the first um, doing doing this type of work. She's Swedish, um, and her group was a direct expression of her spirituality. So she didn't necessarily shy away from the two being. Um, informative to one another. She actually um, engaged really deeply in her spiritual practice as a way to enrich her creative practice. Um, And she was one of five women in a community called The Five. Um, We'll talk a little bit more about them. Um, She's definitely, you know, history I think is the most generous to Hilma. Um, But the work that they did together was really about activating spiritual center before um, doing that manifestation or that the, the visual synthesis of the work. Um, so i really intrigued by her kind of in your face, like, this is exactly what I'm doing. I'm not, you know, these aren't coming from just me. Like it very much was a channeling that she engaged in and that she worked to cultivate for herself. Um, so let's see, she's not related to Gustav Klimt. Not at all. Um, Gustav Klimt with an M, Helma Klint. Um, but I think some people like to conflate them, especially because uh, there is a little bit of, you know, quite a bit of abstraction in Klimt's work. Um, but he uses, still uses human form and face and portraiture, whereas the work that we're going to look at with Helma is completely abstracted. And, um, you know, he was Austrian. And so not related, Um, but I think that it's easy. I I definitely thought that she was like his daughter or something when I was first studying her and I had to like really firmly, this is the image in my mind that I have when I'm thinking about them together. Um, Okay, so I'm gonna show you a couple of images of um, Hilma's paintings alongside um, other forms that you might see. Um, And so I went from small to big. But, you know, and not everything is like, oh, you can totally tell exactly what she's doing here, but I just wanted to kind of share like the natural forms that I think she was definitely in communication with. Um, And if you want images, image names or um, references to any of this art, just write down the slide number, which is down here at the bottom, and you can message me and and I will tell you the names of the paintings. This one was like my favorite comparison. This is like a high def image of your gut uh, that's been colorized. And here's um, something that she was working on with like the golden spiral. Um, She always integrates some type of letter or cursive work but they don't allude to like actual language. They are channelings that she's integrated. Um, But I was just really struck by these kind of like breast-like or cellular shapes here and how you can kind of see like the, I think it's called your cilia in your gut, um, kind of connecting here. So we've gone from molecular, kind of a body system here. And then you can see that she's using the same primary colors and and chakra activation. Um, She has them in uh, left to right order, but they're also ascending upwards um but i just felt like this connection was something that was definitely there visually for me and when i first saw this painting i was like oh like chakral alignment up to source up to the sun um and i think that you know while an image like this might not have necessarily been prevalent um in sweden in 1900 there is certainly something to be said for the visual connection between the two and same with like these high-res microscopic images. She didn't have access to these, right? Um, But she's definitely tapping into some of that. Um, Not that I know a lot about human design. You guys should go to the human design class later in this week, but human design and and, uh, images here. And then you can see how it gets really abstracted and we can go even bigger into this kind of cosmos and metaphysics. Um, And I see here like a a moon or earth-like shape some type of sun and then a continued cosmos um, out into the galaxies. And that's kind of, you can see represented here in this, uh, I think it's a NASA image that I pulled. So, oops, going all the way backwards. I need a clicker. Um, (laughs) All right. So I was gonna try to like write about the five, but I found such a good article about them and I'm not gonna reinvent the wheel on the information here, Um, but basically, starting in, you know, very late 1890s, uh, women called the Five gathered in Sweden and Stockholm, and they um, started meeting for religious purposes. Helma practiced spiritism, which just means that you acknowledge that there are entities and spirits that kind of coexist in some type of layer of our universal reality, and that you are kind of in communication with the natural alliance of spirits and of um, kind of your own life and your nature and what's in your reality, how it connects uh, with kind of the the world beyond. Um, So the women kind of had a spiritual routine or ritual that they established in this first meeting with prayer, meditation, recitation. And um, I think that, you know, some women were Christian or had Christian ideology built into their spiritual practice. So they also worked um, with the Bible. And it kind of almost sounds like a, like a Ouija board sleepover or something like that. Like each woman took a turn being kind of the, the medium, they would um, receive messages from the high masters and then they would directly channel those into uh, creative uh, production. So either drawing or painting right in the moment with each other. Um, and they all kept really, really good notes of their meetings together. So they kind of applied like a scientific method to the spirituality and to the cultivation. And I think that they were really excited to find that they could tap into this technology, the spiritual technology. Um, and they were really trying to see, okay, if I can bring this message in, how does my um, creative training come in to so that I can impart these messages um, in the best, in the best way? Um, and so the other members were Anna Castle, Cornelia Cederberg, Sigrid Hedman, and Matilda Nilsson. Um, but Hilma received channelings um, to create over 190 paintings. And that is why, and and it was channeled to her as one body of work. So that's why her work is a little bit more prominent than the other women who all created things auxiliary to these seances. Um, They had their notes from the seances, but Hilma recollected a, a direct channeling as a result of this process and, and shows how that comes out in her work. Um, and that was a lot of the exhibition that the Guggenheim had were paintings from this specific channeling. Um, and, and they were called Paintings for the Temple. Um, so definitely it's something that, that I'll speak on a little bit more, but that's kind of why these five women as a collective didn't have an exhibition, whereas Hilma is, is kind of recognized as an individual. Um, If you want to read this article, it's a a little bit long. It's on Freeze Magazine, and I can also uh, link you to that if you're curious. So one thing that people really like to do is compare Hilma to um, Kandinsky, who I can't even remember his first name. I'm not, I think it's Alfred. I'm not a big fan of Kandinsky, but a lot of people are. Um, My introduction to Kandinsky was in... The play, I think it was, there's a play that everyone has to read at my college and there's this whole thing about a Kandinsky painting and I was so excited to like see the painting that was in the play and then I looked up Kandinsky and I was like these suck um (laughs) I'm just not a fan I'm sorry if you are but I yeah thank you Therese (laughs) Therese is like shaking her head in the background like uh to me they're like bad Alexander Calder um mobiles, but they're flattened. And I like Alexander Calder a lot, like why not just go to the source? (laughs) Like you don't need like the two dimensional version with like clashing colors and stuff. Um, But I really wanted to highlight, like you can see the visual um, comparison, right? Like if you look at her notebooks at left, you can see how she's bringing in a lot of these same like geometric elements, these primary colors, Um, the use of like overlay is still a thing but he's not using magic. Like he's just not using magic in the same way. And so another thing is like uh, that people love to say, like when they first are introduced to Hilma, it's like, oh, these look like Kandinsky's, Um, but she predated him, right? And so um, not necessarily saying that he was informed by her, but she didn't need Kandinsky for her paintings to be like that. That's how she painted from her own practice and from her own channels. and this was like the nicest Kandinsky painting I could find for this. Um, I didn't really even like, I just think they're so ugly, <laughs> like, I'm sorry. But um, I, I wish that I could have like put a, a little bit more for you to see the differences. But um, I think this one kind of shows you like, there's, there. Uh, it's an understandable comparison to make, but the reason that his, that his work doesn't like make, I don't know, like I kind of want to bite into some of her paintings like, this one, like I just like want, like it, like I want to touch it, I want to like feel it. I love the color palette. Um, you know, this one is like soothing while it's still dealing with like those big, big ideas. Um, I don't feel soothed by this at all. And the same with like Chagall and Litsky who use geometry um, in, in the same way. They're very architectural um, and they're very like calculated, um, but they don't have the same, the same kind of depth uh, at all. All right. So I wanted to kind of like get a little bit deeper into like what magic actually does. So after, um, this is another excerpt from that freeze article, but um, after about nine years of these seances, Helma channeled this message to create 193 large scale paintings. um, And they comprise the series, The Paintings for the Temple, which um, she worked on for another nine years. So this was a uh, 29 year kind of process for her. Um, Is that right? Yep, 29 year process for her. Um, And that means that these are basically her life's work. And so what Magic did was It showed her how to transition from being, you know, a portrait painter who worked with oils, who was uh, trained very traditionally, which was a big deal for a woman at that time, into kind of establishing the abstract movement among women in the arts and allowing women in the arts to do something that wasn't purely functional. Um, so, it was starting to be accepted in Europe that you could be a woman who was making portraiture. But to move on to something that was, I think, um, the connection wasn't necessarily made to the value of abstract art at that time because people weren't familiar with it. So, to take a risk like creating your life's work for 30 years um, on super large scale paintings, which are laborious, they are time intensive, they're financially like difficult to come up with those supplies and resources if that's not something that you're actively making money on for commissions so what magic showed her how to do is to kind of push aside all of that practicality um, all of those potential pressure points and really just focus on establishing um, this series and one thing that she did was um She had it instructed in her will that these paintings were to go to her nephew. And she um, did not want them to be shown in public for at least 20 years after her death. So this work was not for her. Um, She learned to trust her instincts as an artist and she learned how to create observance outside of herself. Um, So she did not want this work to be something that she was showing on a wall at a gallery opening or at a museum talk. Um, She wanted people to absorb these independent of her and independent of the time that she was creating in. Um, So by decontextualizing the work, um, it allows for the channeling to speak for itself a little bit more. And you have to have a certain level of trust in the universe um, to wait for a reception on your work until 20 years after you've died. Like, you really have to know, like, this is worth it for me. I'm going to make 193 paintings, and I know that someone's going to see them, and they're going to mean something to someone at some point, but I, I'm not, they don't mean much to me right now. Like, I'm going to separate myself from that. Um, and I think another part of that instinct was the use of color and the use of curvature in her lines. So again, like if we look at the Kandinsky, these lines are really, really straight. The circle is like a perfect circle, right? But we don't see that um, when we look at these things or when we look at these lines, like if you see this painting up close, these lines are not straight. And you can even tell that they, oops, that they are at an angle a little bit too here. Um, This circle, I'm not good at this mouse thing. This circle is like not a perfect circle. Um, And so that type of stuff actually, it tells your brain on some level when you're looking at the art that it's okay to stay. It's okay to stay and take a second to understand this because she took a second to understand it while she was making it. The authority in the painting is its humanity. When we look at Kandinsky, It's not okay to stay and try to understand this because it's already right there. You either get it or you don't. Oh, you don't like Kandinsky? Well, you must not have gotten it, right? Um, But Hilma gives you a chance to really sit with what she's done here and say, oh man, I love this big orange color here. Oh, wow, is that a sun? What are these? What are these? Oh, there's a flower up there. What does that mean? Is it a flower? Um, The colors are really palatable at least for me, I I feel safe, like wanting to look at them. I feel comforted by these colors. Um, And I can see it as just this, which is cool and great and beautiful. Or I can start to make the connection that maybe something a little bit more is going on. Um, Sarah, I need to figure out a better presenting tool. Um, Sarah and I work together. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let me try to get, this visual back to where I wanted it. A few, single page? Why isn't it zoomed out? I'm I sorry. To top right, There's Oh, us zoom out. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Gotcha. Uh, um, <laughs> all right. Um, so the abstraction, the color palette, I also feel like the understanding for broader audiences is something that really, um, You don't want as an artist to have to stand next to your work and say, so this is what this means. And that's what that means. And could you tell what I was doing here? Um, And so she's really trusting in that process, right? She opened her process to magic and the magic really, really gave back to her. But you don't get to have that relationship go both ways if you don't open your process to magic. Um, every woman who creates does have that baseline spark, right? But the further step is to engage with the magic piece, to cultivate it with ritual and with community so that your work can actually be in conversation with the magic that you're making and so that your magic alternatively can have a place to go to build itself out. Um, so So art plus magic is magic that occurs in art, but also what art can do for your magic. And by having the art as a place to go to do that synthesis that Molly mentioned at the beginning of class, um, that synthesis is really what creates that conversation with your soul and with the magic, because you are allowing this like external manifestation to happen, where you can really see what that magic means outside of yourself. In the same way that Hilma decided that this art really wasn't about her as the artist, but it was about the collection, you can start to see your work as a standalone for your creative practice or for your spiritual practice and and have it be this kind of like embodiment of your magic. Um, And that's something that you can share with other people as an artist, or you can also have it just be something that you go to kind of like a yoga practice. All right. So take a second, go back to your definitions um, and write one or two sentences or make a short list about how your art and your magic can have closer connections with each other. Um, And so we saw some examples of Hilma, but go ahead and and get creative on, on your own and I'll put another three minutes on the timer.
4: I'm sorry, could you repeat the question, but phrase it a little bit differently?
0: Yeah, Um, so if you needed to come up with a, a way to bring more magic into your art, how would you do that? If you needed a way to bring more art into your magic, how would you do that? Thank you of course. Thanks for asking. Okay, Uh, who wants to share? We have plenty of time for as many people as would like to share. And then after we talk about this particular prompt, I'm gonna open the session up to questions about art and magic or just about art and creativity in general. But please unmute yourself and, and let me know how you see these two practices coming closer together.
1: So for me, one of the um, definitions I have of magic is like lighting up like a kind of almost like a puncture or whatever. i just thinking about this one event that feels magic or like vibration or something. So I thought about this light, bright spark in my art, like allowing it to really activate the senses. Um, and to me, I, I see a little bit of a relationship between... Um, Hilma and Sister Karita Kent. And sister and my best friend lately was like, You should do or maybe it was you, Rainey, was like, you should do Sister Karita Kent kind of work. So that's kind of just what I'm thinking about, that relationship between that bright and that kind of almost that channeling coming through. I love hearing that channeling aspect with Hilma and thinking about channeling ancient knowing into my graphic design. And then the third thing to balance my physical environment like the design of my environment would balance my inner spiritual world.
0: Mm-hmm. That temple. Yeah. That giant temple. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um I like this idea of like activation through magic, like either sens- sensory activation or sensual activation through magic. Um, I think that's a really I, I like that word as it comes as it comes into this this process. Thank you, Therese.
2: I would jump right off of that too and say like what I wrote down was to create my art studio. make my art studio a temple
3: mm-hmm. and incorporate ritual more
2: I think that's really what's missing um it's like I do it here and there but if I really set my studio up like Teresa was saying too, like make it beautiful make the design really inspiring and a place where you can come and like yeah worship the process kind of maybe that sounds a little extreme but I don't
0: know No, that's that's what you should be doing. I'm glad that was the take, I mean, should be, but like, that's the takeaway that I'm hoping people can understand is like, worship your art because that is, that can be going to your, to your church, right? Um, who else wants to go? I want to hear from as many people as possible. I'll go.
4: Hey again, Molly. Um, hey, hi again. <laughs> so I went to school for theater and um, real people school or whatever where you get a piece
0: of paper at the end. Uh, Okay, I'll send you a piece of paper.
4: (laughs) I don't need pieces of paper anymore. Um, Anyways, so I do ritualistic performance art or ritualistic theaters, like what we call it. And the movement style that we use is buto, which is a Japanese movement form. Um, If you're familiar, it's basically just like allowing your body. to It's like morbid ecstatic dance, essentially um but like i feel like right when i was coming out of college i was like very in it like in it to win it like surrendering to the process like reaching like transcendental spaces like in this cathartic ritualistic movement performance and like practice as like the audience as a witness rather than observers of a finished product if you will mm-hmm. And in the past few years, it's been a lot more, like, difficult to reach those places, to reach those states. Um, and, like, through this conversation and, like, looking at, like, the comparisons with this art, I think it's a matter of being able to, like, surrender to the process of, like, synthesizing the seen and the unseen. And knowing, knowing that you have no fucking idea how that's going to happen. <laughs> period <laughs> at the yeah. end and like removing like moving yourself out of the fucking way of this like waterfall of like inspiration mm-hmm. which like another thing i'm just like ranting now
0: but here we no, are no i love it please please <laughs>
4: inspiration means like inhaling breathing in which if you know how like the an- anatomy of respiration works is an it's an exchange of negative pressure so when you're pulling your diaphragm down you're creating negative pressure and like sucking the air in and when you relax it creates negative pressure the opposite way and allows the air to be pulled out so like whenever it talks about like conspiracy means breathing together you are literally Mm -hmm. conspiring with the universe at all times like it is breathing you and you are breathing it physics it's physics it's anatomy and physics so this like surrendering to allowing your creation and your inspiration and your respiration to move you in this creative direction rather than trying to make your blue the perfect blue i'll just allow it to be the perfect blue and it'll end up there somehow
0: yeah yeah I I love that. that. (laughs) Thank you. I'm trying to pull up this photo I have of a painting that Hilma have did of lungs because it's like exactly, I was like the respiratory process, but it's not pulling up on my screen share right now, but I'll send it to you. Oh, here it is. I'll send it to you um, after class as well. Let me pull it because it's like so on point with what you were just saying. All right. Does everyone see that? um so here's her conspiring with the universe around the inhales yeah isn't this beautiful um i didn't include this because it's i don't know who's been to the guggenheim but it's this giant spiral so the walls aren't actually flat or straight and so this is me like trying to get good images um but usually my museum photography is a little bit better um let me pull back up this talk. Who else wants to share about their definitions or about this interplay um, or conversation between between these two concepts?
3: Yeah, just to play off of, um, was it Molly, is that your name? Okay, yeah, just to play off of what you just said. Uh, I just put not judging or overthinking when I feel inspired. So my definition of magic is weaving intention into seemingly mundane things and art is like the abundance of the senses like just like something being so visually pleasing that you're just like it feels like an orgasm in your eyes or same with sound taste touch like anything to me Mm -hmm. that's art so Mm -hmm. yeah like letting the mundane like be abundant in my senses and not judging it when I feel that way like not be like why are you so inspired by that that's weird that's where I'm at and I feel yeah. like it was so much more eloquently said before but I still wanted to share so <laughs> no I
0: I mean weaving intention into the seemingly mundane is like uh, one of my favorite definitions of magic as well um and I think that when you are a working artist, a lot of your work can start to get kind of mundane, especially if you feel obliged to do a commission or like you have an order that needs to be fulfilled or something like that. Um, And so, guys mind muting yourselves please oh thank you um oh maybe not um, <laughs> let me see if I can find get the mic to mute oh, okay. okay figured it out thank you um, uh but abundance of the senses art mundane basically art can become really mundane if it's your job to do it And I think that a lot of people get burnt out because they don't get to have that magic woven into it. And so there are days where like, I talk with my artists about small wins. Um, It's kind of like daily wins, but it's like, you know, if you are making these like super large scale paintings and it takes a month to complete one, you're not going to feel like you are doing something that isn't mundane. So one way that you can like weave some intention into that process is by making really small paintings when you get started for the day in your studio. So that way you can say, I, I made a whole painting today and I got to work on my big one. And um, it can be almost like a throwaway painting. Like doesn't matter what it looks like. It's really just like you warm up but you finished something and you can call it done. And so that level of like, balance between the mundane and the inspirational is something that we are constantly have to maintain and that's something that like women have to do all the time too like in our life especially like I'm not a mother but um, I've worked with kids quite a bit and like there is a lot of magic in kids and there's a lot of boring stuff that you have to just deal with and do um, but like as a mother you have to ma- or like as a woman you have to maintain your, your sense of magic Um, or else life gets pretty not fun pretty fast. Um, So I think that there is, and then like that's where the abundance is found, right? It's in that sweet spot between those two things, between inspired mundanity, basically, like that's where abundance happens. Um, Great. There are definitely people who haven't spoken yet. I don't wanna dominate. So if anyone else wants to share, please do.
2: I'll share mine. I find it really interesting um, Thanks, how similar all of ours are. Um, so for magic, I had convergence of intention and ritual to create something new. And then art, I had personal reflection manifest into the physical world. And um, for more magic in my art, I wrote down bring more of the unseen into the world. Oh, I like that.
0: What's and the think,
2: un- yeah? What's the unseen for you? Well, um, someone else had their definition. I think it was Sarah. She talked about the unseen and seen being mm-hmm. part of magic, and I think just what you were kind of talking about with the mundane. Um, I because I do my art for for work. I'm like really stuck into that mundane and looking for other ways to do possibly other art. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a little more of the magic is what what I yeah. need, cause I have so much mundane in what I've been doing. Yeah,
0: totally. All right. Cool. Well, I'm gonna be, I'm still able to answer more questions. We still have like 15 more minutes on this call, um, but I just wanted to plug a couple of ways that you can stay connected with me, um, like after this call or just in general. Um, so I'm on Slack, I'm on the Bruja report. Um, I think everyone on here is Bruja, but just in case if you aren't, um, I can get you a month free on Bruja Report. Just catch up with me after class. Um, it's definitely like changed my life. I don't know how else to talk about it. Um, Everest is uh, the kind of Everest Asher is the teacher and the the kind of leader of this mastermind. And it's just like really radical technologies for women to bring more magic into their lives um, in like every way and I definitely just like shifted the way that I do things since I've been involved in this community and I've I've gotten to meet so many cool women that are on this call today. Um, I also have a newsletter so feel free to put your email in the chat and I will add you to my newsletter list. I put like events like today for my whole newsletter list I sent out the access pass like 15 minutes before and I was just like just come join me Um, you don't need to donate so for most of my things I do that for my newsletter list Um, you can also learn with me I am launching the second round of my cohort um Solstice Synergy Creative Circle today Um, we will start A week after the summer solstice, but it's um, an eight week intensive where I teach art theory and I bring in guest uh, speakers and women who um, work in the arts um, and basically you get a community where you can do these types of rituals and this type of magic in your life for eight weeks um, and I had a really successful first run when we did summer, or when we did winter session. Um, Therese was in that program with me and she actually just had her critique presentation um, at the beginning of the week and we got to see everything that she was working on and we all um, got surveys to send her that are customized to her work so that she can get really um, awesome feedback on what she's been doing. So, The eight-week workshop is going to be on sale just for Brujas for 50% off until Monday night. So if this work spoke to you and you're interested in doing something a little bit more detailed that's highly tailored to you, um, let me know, or or you can just go to my website and use the code BRUJA at checkout. But if you are close with Chantel or Therese or Sarah, um, they are all program affiliates and can get you in for even more of a discount than the 50% off. Um, so, and Therese and Chantal and Sarah can tell you a lot more about the program than I can. So uh, feel free to reach out to them if you'd like. Um, and then I think a lot of you all donated already, so don't feel obligated to double donate, but um, I am the sole proprietor. Uh, I've been really lucky to be able to bring Sarah Murphy on to my team as a UX designer, Um, but we definitely work together side by side, not so much um, my assistant or anything like that. So a lot of my work is based on patronage from people who appreciate the arts and it lets me keep doing stuff like this. Um, But yeah, let me know if you guys have any more questions or if you wanna share anything else with me, I would love uh, to keep chatting. Oh, thanks for everyone putting then uh, emails in
1: the chat let me see if I can save this awesome I love uh like I wanted I kind of DM'd you I was like "Ooh, I have so many kind of conspiracy related to fine art oh
3: yeah things to
1: collab mean, yeah and you could think yeah. about it as magic as well like I love seeing that side-by-side imagery um mm-hmm. with what Helma was doing and I could just I can just imagine that and I've seen it before in other programming that that's just exciting to me that they had this really futuristic vision and then they were told that they have these primitive tools or this primitive Mm -hmm. knowledge Mm -hmm. and I just completely have transformed my thoughts about past civilizations and our ancestors like they were probably more advanced than we are right now Um, We should do like, we should do like pyramid,
0: like Egyptian technologies and visual culture or something like that. That would be a really fun one to do. Um, Because all of the art has light bulbs in it. (laughs) Um, So it's like, hmm, maybe there were lights. Um, But yeah, I think that would be a really fun one. Um, If anyone wants to collaborate and teach about Art plus something with me. I think this is going to be kind of my format for my events in general is like art plus blank. Um, I also do a bi weekly art plus wine night um, where I'm just like on live and it's kind of like casual arts programming where I have a drink and like kind of like the old gallery days where you used to go um, hang out in the gallery and have a glass of wine and, and talk to people about stuff. So um we'll stay connected and um I just I once again wanted to say how much I really appreciate everyone for coming and and what an honor it was to teach um as part of Bruja Report thank you
3: thank
0: you everyone
3: yeah and if you you. that was awesome thank
0: you thank you so much if you attended and you want the deck um you can email me or you can dm me on slack and I will share the deck with you too because there was some juicy stuff in here um, I know it's hard to take notes while you're, while you're keeping track. So. Um, thanks everyone. I hope you have a great rest of your day and of your weekend. Okay, thanks Annie. Yeah. Let me see if I can end this meeting successfully End meeting. All right. Have Bye. a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>